Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and this week I watched a movie in which a mostly British cast headlined by Emily Blunt travel overseas to take a dangerous river cruise during the reign of George V, and in which many terrible secrets are revealed. But enough about the 2004 made-for-TV movie Death on the Nile, folks. <laughs> That's the exact thing I was going to say, Dave. Yeah, there's yeah, a huge debate, huge debate before. Jeff was like, oh, I, one of you's going to have my thing. One of you's going to have my opening. <laughs> no. and I'm like, I yeah. don't think so. I don't think so, Jeff. D- Dave, how did you uh, cram a boom goes the dynamite into your <laughs> intro? He's misusing the intros. You're a great skill. You're a great skill. Okay. Anyway, I'm David Chen, and joining me today is Jeff Kanata. Keep your hands and arms inside the podcast at all times. <laughs> and joining us today, he's the founder of SlashFilm.com and the co-creator of the Ordinary Adventures YouTube channel, Peter Serretta. I entertain a rotating group of tourists on a fake cruise through the jungle, and I'm not even a Disneyland cast member. I'm just cursed. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show, Peter. Uh, and also we should point out Devinder Hardware is not here this week. Now, if you weren't listen, if you didn't listen to last week's episode of the podcast, I had mentioned that, uh, this month is a time of great transition for, uh, the podcast members. Uh, obviously you, you may or may not already be aware that the slash film cast has spun off from slash film.com. We're now just the film cast. But things are all good between us and Slash Film. Otherwise, how could we have possibly invited Peter Serretta onto the podcast? I ask you. Tell me. Peter, how, how P- could you be on the show? Peter, things are good, if, right? Things if are we good. Hate things each are good other, between huh? us, right? Yes. Things are great. Yes. Okay, what are you talking about? This is Phew. what I keep trying to tell everyone. This is uh, wait, this is this isn't still the official <laughs> podcast of slash film.com? <laughs> We are now the filmcast, um, and also, oh. uh, yeah, I know it's it's a harsh. It's Have a you gotten a group. new intro music yet? Uh, it's in the works. Oh, it's it's going to be so good, Peter. It's gonna be good. We just wait. It's going to be good. It's going to yeah. be so good. So I, I don't uh, like this bleep thing that's yeah. been going on. Yeah, the, you know the bleep thing is a good interim <laughs> solution. But yes, uh, Devinder Hardware is on vacation this week. We are wishing him a restful time of vacation, and uh, we are also reviewing Jungle Cruise this week. That's what our intros were in reference to. Um, uh, a lot of people were asking, "When are you going to review the? When are going to review the Green Knight?" That's going to be next week. Uh, is going to be the main review of the Green Knight. But yeah, Devinger's on vacation this week. Jeff Kanata is moving this week. Moving. You're moving to Denver across the country, Dave. Indeed, to Denver. Mm-hmm. Then later on, I'm going to be going on vacation. So like, uh, there's going to be you know different uh, different permutations of the podcast. Just hang with us uh, as we, again, go through a bunch of changes in August, hoping things will settle down in September and things will be back to quote-unquote normal. But We're calling now, it Turbulent August. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a branding thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, we are now the Filmcast, so check your podcast apps. Uh, we are probably going to be showing up in a different place in the listing of podcasts. Uh, and yeah, this week is going to be me, Jeff, and Peter Shredda Talking through some film news, talking through some what we've been watching, and talking through our review of Jungle Cruise, which is available right now in Disney Premier Access and also in theaters. And in Dave, the, uh, yeah? Peter's going to join us for the After Dark, too, Indeed, right? He's yeah. going to go the distance. That's what he's I describe it as. the distance. <laughs> he's doing the After Dark, which is available exclusively to patrons at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. We're going to be discussing uh, some technology upgrades I've made. We're going to be discussing... Uh, Jeff has a 
an item listed here in the show notes called friend epiphany. I'm curious what that's about. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. Peter Soretta wanted to bring up something as well, right? Peter, what was your topic? Yeah, both those like featurettes that play after HBO TV shows. TV featurettes. And then if we have time, (laughs) Jeff Kanata and I are going to be reviewing Jolt, which is streaming right now on Amazon Prime Video. So yeah. That's the After Dark for you at patreon.com slash film podcast. Uh, $10 and up gets you access to three to four After Dark episodes per month. We watched Jolt. <laughs> so yes. you don't have to. Indeed. Find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us for now at slash filmcast at gmail.com. All right. Before we get to any of that, uh, let's talk about probably the biggest film news that happened in the last week, which is that Scarlett Johansson sued Walt Disney Company over the release of Black Widow. And she, I'm reading here from the, the Los Angeles Times. In a complaint filed last Thursday, Johansson accused Disney of breaching its contract by debuting the big-budget Marvel Studios superhero movie on Disney Plus and in theaters at the same time, a move that her representatives say hurt her compensation. Uh, she also intimated that she lost roughly $50 million, I think, as a result of this move. Yeah, but who's so, counting? Yeah, I mean, fifty million here, fifty million there, though, Jeff. One day this is going to start to add up to yeah. some real money. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dave, isn't she worried that Disney will not bring her back as Black Widow again? I, I know. <laughs> well, you know, you you point that out, Peter, and the fact that Black Widow. So, spoiler for Avengers Endgame, but in the movie Avengers Endgame, Black Widow dies rather needlessly, in my opinion. By the way. Um, but yeah, Black Widow is dead. And so Scarlett Johansson, she's had her Black Widow movie. She's had the Black Widow character die. She's, she's, she's playing a, with house money now. She's a major star in her own right, right? She doesn't need Disney. So she's like, you know what? I can sue Disney. I, I don't need to work with Disney ever again. And uh, she's in the, I, I didn't even realize what kind of a power position she's in, right? With the death of her character. She's like, I got nothing to lose here. She has nothing to lose. I got to right? squeeze every cent out of this back Black Widow solo movie, you know? <laughs> indeed, indeed. So I think there's a couple things worth noting about this uh one is like as a hollywood industry trend right so for those who don't know movie stars like scarlett johansson in the past have made uh what are called back-end points off of a movie release like black widow which means if a movie does well in theaters then uh she will get some percentage of the gross and you know this is for a, a movie that's as big as Black Widow, that percentage is usually like a significant amount of money. But because of COVID and because of the release strategy, Disney changed the the strategy right of of how they're going to release Black Widow. Uh, they released it much later than they originally thought they would, and also yeah. uh, released it for for premiere access on Disney Plus. Yeah, well, and so no- she signed a deal where it seemed pretty clear what kind of range this movie was going to make in theaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then lo and behold, uh, Disney starts getting this other revenue stream <laughs> called, uh, you know, what, what is it called? Premier Special, access. Premier, Premier access. access. Yeah. yeah. Which I would assume is not included in the back end yes. points deal. Yes. Disney is super thrilled about it because they get to keep all that money. They don't need to share it with, right. you know, movie theaters. They don't need to share it with their stars. But uh, stars are pretty peeved about this. Uh, Peter Soretta, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was going to say, and they usually get the back end deal because they forego a bigger front end payday. Yeah. So they're, they're working for less money you know, uh, up front in the chances that the movie will do well and they'll make a small percentage. Right. Which, which right. ends well, that, up being big, but yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, I think the 
for, in most of these cases, the money that they would ask up front would make financing the movie prohibitive, yes. <laughs> you know? Uh, so th their bet is their bet. And the studio's bet is, Hey, we don't have to come up with all this sweet moolah at the beginning. We can make the movie still very expensive movies, obviously, but we can, you know, save tens of millions of dollars uh, and still get these stars and just pay them out of the, uh, the money we're raking in after we've already you know, recouped our cost here. Yeah. So, or not. So, I mean, it's, yeah, whatever. So th there's a couple of industry trends that I think are interesting here. Um, Richard Rushfield, who writes the Anchor newsletter, predicts that backends are going away basically, right? Like the backend deal is going to go away. Um, Netflix doesn't offer any backend deals, obviously, and Netflix and streaming is the future. And so like the backend deal could be a relic of an old, older Hollywood era. We'll see. Uh, but it's possible that this is kind of the dying gasp of like the backend deal. I'm not so um, sure about that because I feel like uh, certainly the Netflix paradigm it makes it difficult, but not in the premier access paradigm. Right. If if mm -hmm. if I was gonna say Nintendo, if <laughs> Disney and others, you know, are are going to commit to this premier access, this pay per view style, it's not pay per view, but pay to view. <laughs> uh, then I, it feels to me like you could still structure a back end deal based on that. I mean, Disney was certainly all uh, willing to tout how much money Black Widow made w from those combined receipts seems like it would be pretty easy to ca calculate a percentage of all that. I I, I don't um, I think I think you're right it's certainly possible. I don't think it will happen though because first of all it's uh, it's um, it's complicated because first you need to be a Disney Plus subscriber to right. pay for premier access, right? So just financially that makes it more complicated, but also Disney now has the ability to refuse to do that, right? They can just say we're not going to do back end deals anymore. And then like what are people just not going to work with Disney anymore? You know like I so I think well I mean that was all always the case. <laughs> There's that uh, didn't just become the case. They, well, I, you could, I guess, they could but, always have said no back end deals, and people would. What are they just going to not you know not going to work with Disney like that? No, I know, but Disney Plus is less than two years old. Like it, I'm, I'm saying like in the future, like ten years from now, you really think there's going to be like back end deals of the size that they are today? I just don't think so, right? Uh, so I'm not saying that we'll never see a back end deal again, but like I think that. Uh, the, the 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 decline of the back end deal is on is what uh, is what I would predict. I I just think that it's in everyone's best interest, and and when it's in everyone's best interest, it. I mean, Scarlett Johansson is only upset because the calculus changed. It's true. It's true. Like she's if, not upset. If Disney had given her some amount of money, if they're like, hey, we're not going to give you the back end from the movie, but we'll give you some percentage of the premiere access. You know, yeah, maybe I'm sure she, she be wouldn't fine, have right? sued yeah. anybody. I, yeah. I'm guessing. I yeah. obviously yeah. don't yeah. know, but um, and I, it seems to me that again, I'm just speculating, so I could be a way off. But it does seem to me that it is in. It makes the movies cheaper to make. It makes the stars happy. It allows you to get these massive stars to sign on to these projects for a lot less upfront cost. It's good for the production company. It's good for the studio. It's good for the 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 star. I, I, I if it's good for everybody, I can't imagine it doesn't happen. They just kind of it, it was this weird transition point where the deal was signed under one set of circumstances mm -hmm. and then circumstances changed and the deal didn't change and i i suspect there'll be plenty of agents who will still craft back end deals for stars just because everybody's likely to make way more money than a front end deal would 
Yeah, I, I just uh, really disagree. I think the power is shifting to the streamers and people like Netflix, and they don't do Netflix doesn't do any back end deals. I know they don't have Premier Access either, but they don't do back end deals. So, you know, we'll see which one of us is right. But the other thing I want to bring up is uh, Disney's response to this. I thought was like pretty catastrophic. Uh, their uh, their representative said in an emailed statement, "quote The lawsuit is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard." For the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, Disney yeah. has fully complied with Ms. Johansson's contract. And furthermore, the release of Black Widow on Disney Plus with Premier Access has significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation on top of the $20 million she has received to date, end quote. That is a dirty response on a number of levels. First of all, like yeah. throwing out her, uh, her the amount that she got paid yeah. in an attempt to like turn people against her, yeah. right? Yeah. And then saying that she had a callous disregard for the COVID-19 pandemic when Peter Sreda, I mean, I, I, I think you as somebody who has a uh, very popular YouTube channel about theme parks knows Disney has not exactly been not exactly clothed themselves with glory in how they have dealt with the COVID-19 pandemic. Unless unless you disagree with that assessment. But my sense is they've made some mistakes. In the sure. Last year and sure. Um, yeah. I will say though, like for things to get to this point of a lawsuit, that like that original story was like her people kept on trying to contact Disney and like be like, let's work out a new deal, and got no response. Yeah, no response. So it has to get to a level that this lawsuit is filed, and the reason why Disney is so harsh in this is not because they don't want to pay out Scarlett Johansson fifty million dollars. It's because if this goes to court and <laughs> if she settles if they if she wins it's going to be everybody right. every film that's been released this yeah. is opening the door so that's why they're playing dirty is they yeah. don't want to pay out not just her but everybody uh yeah it is just like they're they're going that is not the statement of an organization that wants to keep the talent happy you know like because I, I bet you a lot of uh, other Disney talents looking at that statement being like, wow, that could be there, but for the grace of God, go I. And by the way, uh, very few other stars have come out in support of Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> um, when, when people dared suggest that Chris Pratt was not the best Chris, you had you know Hulk and a bunch of other Avengers lining up to support him. But here you have an actual uh, economic injustice potentially being done here. And uh, the other Avengers, no, nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. Uh, now, obviously, that you know, they they want to. They're looking out for themselves, and they want to like continue to work with Disney potentially in the future. You know, so. Uh, but I do think it's interesting to see like who who is supporting her. I will say my sense is everyone's like the Disney moves here are, have been so heinous that everyone I've seen on my timeline has been on Scarlett Johansson's side. Um, but I don't know about you guys. Like, what what is your sense of 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 the of the sentiment and goodwill in this case. I, I feel like people are on Scarlett Johansson's side and it's like, they, they changed the contract without telling her and they, they shouldn't have done that. Jeff, that's the sense I got from what, how you're describing it. Yeah. It, you know, I, I think it's unfortunate that this becomes a war of public opinion and certainly Disney seems to be wanting to fight it on those grounds. And that statement was made to sort of rake her through the mud and make, yeah. you know, the public go, Oh my gosh, she made $20 million and she still wants more. She's so greedy. Right. And you see this over and over and over again, right? Uh, sports stars uh, ha get this. Um, TV stars get this. I am reminded of um, 
of Jason Alexander's very eloquent um, description of of the very um, harsh and um, um, full of malice <laughs> negotiations during the last few seasons of Friends when uh, the cast... Uh, Jason well, Alexander and Friends? Are you Seinfeld? or Friends, some other- Seinfeld, excuse Seinfeld. me. Yep, got it. Seinfeld, <laughs> my goodness. Uh, my brain, my brain today. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the when Seinfeld was, they were trying to negotiate, you know, and you see this with The Simpsons and, and Friends and any of these like, they're making a million dollars an episode and oh my God, and they're still, uh, you know, striking, saying they won't work unless they get money. Jason Alexander, I think... Um, if you go back and watch his statement around that time, it's it, it's not that the money isn't being made, right? The money is being made. Mm-hmm. It's just not going into the pockets of the people who are making it, right? It is th- these the there. It is easy to determine the value across the board of these players, and it is very easy to determine that. While the income of these things skyrockets, it doesn't go into actual people's pockets who are responsible for it skyrocketing, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so the, the money is coming in, the, and it is they're asking for a percentage of the money that she agreed to a percentage of the money, and then that percentage changed because they decided that they were going to rake in money in a diff from a different avenue. So it's hard. It, it's easy to go. Oh well, she doesn't deserve that amount of money. She should be happy with her twenty million. I'd be happy with my twenty million. But it, it's just not about that. It's yeah. it's about you know this sort of equity of what was agreed upon. Number one and number two, what someone is worth and what someone brings to a property that's making hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what the other thing is like when you're at the end of like a franchise like this or like friends or Seinfeld, you are making a lot more than you were making at the beginning of that. Like when, when Scarlett Johansson signed on for Iron Man two, Iron Man two, she made $400,000, Yeah, which I know is a lot of money to everybody listening, but that was like a pay cut in her. Do you know what I mean? Like Bezos, Jeff Bezos listens to this show, Peter. Well, yes, (laughs) not a lot of money to everybody listening. (laughs) Yeah. But what, what I'm saying is like you, you Marvel and Disney, well, I guess maybe not Disney in this case because they didn't own uh, Marvel at that point. But Marvel at that point were profiting off her in a big way. And it, it like I feel like it evens out at the end. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The scale turns yes. the other way. Yes. Uh, a- other thing I want to point out, by the way, is apparently Black Widow had the word. Now, I, I know like. We are in a unprecedented time, and there's lots of things potentially impacting box office right now. So, like, you know, I, I don't know that that we are in a pure experimental environment. But uh, I believe Black Widow had the worst fourth weekend in theaters out of any sort of Marvel standalone film. I think is mm. is that the statistic? Something like that. Something. Like and there is there is a lot of speculation that like being on Disney Premier Access hurt the long-term box office prospects of black widow right like if it wasn't on disney plus premiere access like people go to see black widow multiple times in theaters that's basically no longer necessary right like no yeah it's gonna be much more rare to see a movie in theaters multiple times if you can just go home pay 30 bucks and watch it again like i saw it in theaters once i don't need to see it in theaters twice if it's already available at home right um and also it's been pirated you know so like 
it, we're we're starting to see the impact of this, and so uh, we'll be watching this closely. And I think uh, Emma Stone's considering doing the same thing for Cruella, if word on the street is to be believed. So potentially a reckoning is coming. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're we're obviously in a transition period right now in Hollywood. But uh, that is by far the biggest story happening in uh, in the movie industry right now. And uh, let's get in to what we've been watching. It's time, one of my favorite times, where I get to tell you about our sponsor, HelloFresh. I love HelloFresh so much. I've been using it for years. It is the number one meal kit in America. America's number one meal kit! Because with HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. You don't have to go to the grocery store. And you can count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That is why it's number one, baby. I love HelloFresh. I, I I pay for it every single week because it makes my family life better. I get to cook for my family. I get to enjoy cooking. It cuts out all that stressful meal planning. I don't have to go to the grocery store. I don't have to worry about buying ingredients, more of which than I need, that go bad in the fridge. I get exactly what I need. There's less prep less effort. I have a much bigger variety in the meals that my family eats. Minimal cleanup. I can get dinner on the table in about 30 minutes. Plus, HelloFresh has calorie smart options to make it easier to enjoy tasty, lower calorie meals this summer without scouring the grocery store for the ingredients and, and scouring the web for recipes. It's, it's just the best way to do it. You can choose from 50 menu and market items every single week. From vegetarian meals to craft burgers and extra special gourmet options, all available. There's something for everyone to enjoy with all recipes designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. It's so much easier. My life is better. We get to eat great food that feels restaurant quality. And this summer, HelloFresh has everything you need to get grilling. You can get grilling bundles, burger packs, surf and turf packs. Ah, it's great. Plus, HelloFresh is 28% cheaper than shopping at your local grocery store and 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal without sacrificing the quality. It's great. I love it. I truly do. And you can go to HelloFresh.com slash FilmCast14 and use our code FilmCast14 for up to 14 free meals, plus free shipping. That's incredible. HelloFresh.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T-1-4, and that promo code, FilmCast14, you get 14 free meals, plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. So, uh, what we've been watching, Jeff Kanata, let's start with you. Well, I'm not going to be here next week. Uh, because I will be in transit-ish. <laughs> My life will be in yeah. boxes, and I will be uh, uh, dealing with all kinds of things I don't want to deal with, but it's an exciting time. Uh, nevertheless, <laughs> uh, you <laughs> you and Devendra will be reviewing The Green Knight, but I did have an opportunity to see The Green Knight, so I thought what I'd do here on this very episode is throw in some of my opinion on Green Knight so you guys could pepper it in maybe or just have knowledge of it when you do your full mm -hmm. big time review. And mm -hmm. I'm sure you guys are going to do a great job uh, reviewing it. And, and you know what? 
probably better without me. Uh, because I will tell you, fellows, I made a grievous error in seeing the Green Knight. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I thought to myself, I want to see that Green Knight. Everybody's talking about that Green Knight. I want to go see that Green Knight. But, oh, I'm, uh, life is crazy. Uh, there's, there's a lot going on. How do I fit in that Green Knight? Well, I, I know what I'll do, see. I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go to that 10.30 p.m. showing of the Green Knight. Mm, see? Mm. Yeah, after a long day of being a dad and getting ready to move and move well, What better way and, to wind down... Yes. Then a 10.30 p.m. screening of The Green Knight. Which I'll see that Green Knight because I don't know much about that. You will understand how ironic that statement is if you've seen The Green Knight. I, 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 uh, <laughs> I had no idea really what The Green Knight was mm-hmm, you know, as mm-hmm. I stay away from most things mm-hmm. in anticipation of Jeff the... Jeff Kanata left the theater 10 hours later when he woke up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was fighting to stay awake mm-hmm. during The Green Knight. Yeah. It was a yeah. battle that... A pitched battle between a... Uh, a, a green and a knight, and the knight won. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. It, it, this movie is slow. I've not, I, I don't know many movies. We talk about pacing in mm-hmm, movies. Mm-hmm. I don't know many movies where every minute of the movie is the exact same pace. You know how some movies will like have fast parts and slow parts. There'll be like a really exciting thing happens, and then and then there'll be like a, a conversation scene, and and they mix it up, right? They mix it up to have different tempo, and you you oh, you gotta recover from all that tension and excitement, and with a nice slow kind of uh, dialogue moment. Oh, mm-hmm. and then we're fast, we're running. Whoa, whoo, what's going on now? Yeah, Green Knight doesn't do any of that. It just goes at its own. And every actor seems to have been told not to rush their lines so that each word lands with impact. And the scenes... (laughs) Oh, you're still going with it. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. Every shot lingers a little longer you could, you know, than it should. Uh, every bit of dialogue is delivered. The, the word that comes to mind is lugubrious. Mm-hmm. This is a lugubrious mm-hmm. film. This is, like, and, uh, this is like, you know, that scene in uh, Amadeus where the guy's like, too many notes, Mozart. Yeah. yeah. Using too many notes. Can you use fewer notes? Yeah. I, I'm, sure, I, I'm sure you guys are going to love it. And next week, I'm sure Devendra is, is going gaga over it. And that will be great. And I'm glad I don't have to argue with him because <laughs> it is not for me. I appreciated the visuals are stunning, stunning visuals. But the movie is so slow. And hey, it's on me for going to the 1030 show. Maybe if I was bright eyed and bushy tailed when I saw it, I would like it, would have liked it more. But uh, it's just a, a fair warning to anybody going to see Green Knight. Um, have some caffeine on hand, mm-hmm. uh, or go to an earlier showing that where you feel a little weight. It's it's not my bag. It's not my bag. Well, uh, I'll say a couple things. First of all, Jeff is wrong, FYI. Um, but in addition to that, it is my bag. Uh, no, I'm just joking. I, yes, your your opinion is your own, and obviously, um, completely valid as your opinion. 
I, I disagree. I thought the movie was was very good. Uh, it's not particularly accessible, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> but I think it's very good. And I think actually the pacing is not my biggest problem with the movie. Mm. Um, I, I think the movie is is in some ways needlessly confusing and inaccessible. Um, yes, but I thought too. it was brilliant. I thought it was brilliant, and I really liked it. Uh, and also, Jeff, I watched a ghost story again this week, just to kind of brush mm. up on my David Lowry. Yeah. And boy, if you thought the Green Knight was slow, I mean, Oof. a ghost story has, it doesn't even have people talking slowly. It just has completely, uh, 99% of the movie is no dialogue. Mm. <laughs> it's just shots lingering on yeah. l- literally nothing happening for most yeah. of that movie. Uh, and so I actually think, so I think basically I'm saying if you like the ghost story, Green Knight is going to feel like a, a Transformers super, movie. It's going to feel, yeah, it's going to feel like a Transformers movie by comparison. Um, yeah. and I'm only barely exaggerating. So, but I'm sorry you did not like it, Jeff. Uh, I thought I, it was, yeah. I appreciated it. I, I think it is, uh, gorgeous and stunning. It's a, it's a cinematography, um, uh, highlight reel. It's like a, somebody's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not highlight reel, but, um, a uh, portfolio, like it's a, it's a showcase, showcase. Mm-hmm. yeah, showcase mm-hmm. for uh, for cinematography. It's utterly gorgeous. Every single shot is you can hang on a wall, but uh, but they sort of kn- seem to know it, and they're like, let's just stay here for a while. It's like you're looking at a wall because this should be hung on a wall. So let's just, I don't know. It's just not. It was just not for me, and uh, I recognize that it's for a lot of people, not for me. Uh. Danny her David her in the chat says didn't Jeff watch Terrence Malick's Tree of Life and loved it question mark I did love it I did love it absolutely loved it I think it's a work of art yeah uh, that yes. is that is baffling I mean this this to me is very similar to that movie um another movie well, that movie sim- adds up to something <laughs> oh, I mean this one does my too God. I mean this one does too all right, but all right this is brutal brutal Jeff I didn't care um, for it Dave you may, remember when I said that at the beginning. <laughs> It wasn't, wasn't my bag. You know another movie this reminds me of? Have you seen the Kotsi movies? Like the Kotsi trilogy? Like Koyan yeah. Skotsi? Koyan Skotsi, Do you like yeah. those movies? Yeah, but I, you know what you're signing up for with those. You know, it's like <laughs> mm-hmm. th- those, aren't, those, aren't, those aren't narrative movies. They're just experiences. And this movie is an experience. It's, is, is like, it's, this movie is a tone poem. Yes, it is a tone poem. Uh, and it's very, you know, the... Uh, uh, what I, I was about to make a rebuttal and I, I just lost it, Jeff. The, the, the funny it, but... thing here is, like, Jeff, what is that you always say? The expectation is the thief of joy? Yes. Yeah, it and is. And I feel like here, not having expectations or knowing what you're getting into. I think that's probably true <laughs> that uh, I did go in expecting to see an Arthurian legend starring <laughs> one of my favorite actors. And I was like, oh, yeah. And at the beginning of this movie, it was like, <laughs> he's like in a brothel and there's like some g- crazy stuff happening. I'm like, we are like strap in. And then the movie just grinds to a halt and uh, it takes four hours to <laughs> do anything. It, yeah, it, it's possible that, uh, you know, everyone that's listening to this hates me because I just had I just had the wrong expectation and I saw it too late at night. That is perfectly plausible. And I will, I will cop to that in a second. It is on me that I did not like this brilliant work of art, but um, I did not. Well, people are saying you should at least watch it. People in the chat are saying you should at least watch it when you're wide awake. And I think uh, it'd be worth yeah. giving it one more shot under those circumstances. I am rarely wide awake. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> I well, have children. <laughs> appreciate you giving it a shot, Jeff. Uh, we'll be doing a full in-depth review next week. On yeah, I'm sure it'll be much more pleasant for people that enjoyed that movie than the last five minutes have been. <laughs> no worries. Uh, well, speaking of uh, things on TV and film where people are stranded in the middle of the woods... You also had a chance to watch Alone this week, right? Yes, you and Will last week were, or excuse me, not Will, Walter, pardon pardon me, Walter, (laughs) pardon me. I, I'm barely awake now, as, as you can tell. Yeah, I can tell. I've had, I've had a, a rough one. I'm sitting boxes all around me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm in my, I did not shower today because we were working and pulling stuff off the wall. And mm-hmm. I'm not, I, 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 I'm endangering the mission. Mm-hmm. I, we should turn back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Walter, you and Walter highly recommended the show Alone. And I was so excited to check it out. And uh, I know that Walter suggested I start from episode one of season one. Uh, I turned out it turned out that I was on Netflix anyway, and I think they only have season seven. Whatever the case, yeah, yeah. Whatever the case is, I started at season season seven, Mm -hmm. which is the one that you evidently watched. Yes, uh, which is the uh, Arctic uh, hundred day challenge. Yeah, so you have to stay for a hundred days in the Arctic. Uh, without with ten items that you choose off of like a survival list. Yeah, these are th- to call this a reality show is kind of a disservice because it, it you know it is structurally a, a reality show, but it is not. You are watching professionals attempt to do something. It's more of a sports show than anything you, yeah, else. Yeah, I mean, you just this we've this is not the first time we've argued about this. You just have like such a stigma for the term reality show. Like, uh, yes, because it think usually equals just, like, garbage trash in general. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're going to um, get to your, what we've been watching very soon, Dave. <laughs> okay, but so I, whatever you want to call it, uh, I, I'm so curious, Jeff, what did you think of Alone? It is incredibly compelling watching. Yeah. It is uh, unbelievable that, that human beings choose to do this, <laughs> that all of them are so passionate about their desire to put themselves through living hell. Mm-hmm. And you get to watch them. and, and it, the one of the reasons I think one of the things both of you mentioned last week, but I will reiterate that sets this show apart that really does, I think, distinguish it from, you know, the worst of reality television is that there is no camera crew. There is no producer whispering in someone's ear. Can we, t- you know, turn up the tension here? You know, why don't you throw that cup at her or whatever? Um, th- these people shoot it themselves they are truly alone it lives up to the name alone and uh they are trained in how to shoot video like they they've already got the survival training they they come to the table with that but they're they're trained on how to shoot video of themselves and what you get is this um this video blog of people going through extraordinary events uh, unbelievable survival uh techniques on display uh them versus nature it's it's an amazing thing and in that first episode um one of the characters uh, I, I won't spoil anything but one of the characters something very terrible happens to them that's heartbreaking uh and it's simple like it's not a not a dramatic thing just a very simple like oops and you watch the ramifications of that. It's, it is very compelling watching. I honestly, 
I mean, there's a whole other level of this that I don't know if we need to get into, but it really um, made me question a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, same, there, same, same. There are, uh, there are sequences where you watch, uh, in the first episode, you watch a woman trap a rabbit and then find that trap full of rabbit and weep over the carcass of the rabbit. Well, in that particular case, I believe the rabbit had suffered, basically, is what my, well, my understanding is. Well, yeah. regardless, it, it, is one, it, it was very difficult for me to watch. It was, it's very moving, and it's very uh, real, and it is very, um, you know, here I am eating my chicken dinner or whatever it is, and then enjoying a little bit of television afterwards, and you go, how easy it is for us to disassociate the food we eat yes. from the process by which we get it. Yes. And, and uh, here are humans who can't by virtue of what they're doing. And it, it becomes so much more real. And I, and, and, you know, I go, well, am I just this walking hypocrite? And the answer is yes, of course I am. I am, I am in cognitive dissonance every day. I am, pretending that the food I eat is an abstraction. And it is not. It's that little ru- bunny rabbit. Uh, and uh, well, so, I, I, w- I would argue that like the food we eat is the result of like tremendous suffering. Like, you know, yes. like what is on the show. Industrialized like, suffering. Right, exactly. Like what's on the show is actually, I think, r- very humane, right? Like th- these people are trying to kill these animals quickly and they kill them in ways that are like, you know, um, like you don't, you haven't seen it probably yet, but like in later episodes, I'm not going to reveal any spoilers, but they're just extremely grateful for the food, right? right? Well, like, and, and it, of course, humans throughout history have been right. Like some of them that, literally that like is, cry. They start crying and they give thanks to the, like right. this rabbit that they've captured because it's like I, I'm going to be able to survive another three days now because I caught this rabbit. And, and, it's and like, that's the yeah. story of of human history up until a certain point, after which we were able to disassociate the killing of the animal from the eating of the animal. Right. And I have lived my entire life post that process. Right. Right. And I don't even, I mean, I think it's very valid that you're bringing up the suffering vis-a-vis the animal, but it's not even about the suffering. It's about the taking of the life at all. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, you're I mean, saying the even if industrial farming level, was humane, it would still be like it'd still be jarring yeah. and difficult for me to watch. Right. right, it is still it is still this carcass that they hold up that is limp and was alive moments ago. Uh, and while I'm not, you know, I'm not <laughs> naive enough to not understand that's the process. It's easy to live in an ignorance is bliss situation, you know, and there's. Lots of examples of this and, and lots of worse things. As you said, the, you know, industrialized farming is way worse. And there's lots of documentaries that you can watch that will show you even more jarring atrocities that go into our food every day. But I found this to be um, a sort of beautiful and haunting reminder of the reality of what it is to be a carnivore. Um, and it, 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 you know, it moved me. It made me. Uh, it made me step back and think about my life. That's that's pretty powerful for a 
television show to do. <laughs> you were going to say reality <laughs> show? I didn't. Now, I edited maybe? myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, well, I'm glad you got so much out of it, Jeff. And yeah, I, I was similarly moved by it. And one of the things that I really appreciate about it is that unlike other reality shows, which I know is a word that Jeff doesn't want me to use, but unlike other reality shows, I'm like rooting for like every single person on this show. You know, like yeah. there's, there's, I don't think there's a single one that I'm like, oh, that person's a piece of shit. Like they, they should lose. Like every single one of them is operating at such a high level. And some of these people I would probably hate in real I was life. Like, just going to say that. I was like, if you like, met them in some, real life. There's yes. probably like, like half of, or, you know, 30 or I get 98% of them are probably yes. Trump supporters. Right. Yes. And it, but it's like the, but they're, the, the stuff that they're doing is so difficult. Right. Uh, and so like, it takes so much skill that I'm just like, oh man, I hope you succeed because I feel like on some deep level, they all deserve it, you know? Um, the so. vetting process must be, I mean, I know that they show a lot of video that is clearly their audition tapes. Mm -hmm. um, so they have to demonstrate a a variety of skills in order to even be considered. Yeah, well, not only, not only the skills, but they have to be good at filming themselves. Like that's, yeah. that's the other thing is like, there's, well, there's my understanding is that's the training that they get. If you get cast on the show, then you get trained in in right. w what is expected of you from the filmmaking perspective yeah. Yeah, 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 side yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. But but they're all good on camera. And anyway, I I'm glad yeah. you got a lot out of it. It's alone. Are you going to keep watching this season? What do you think? I know you're well, moving I, this week. I would like to. My my wife uh, was not into the show at all. She found it oh. too too disturbing, and not not from the animal thing. It was just sort of like just she couldn't handle the the tension of the circumstances. Like she couldn't, she was really did not find it enjoyable to, I mean, the, the question is, are they going to die? You know, like the question <laughs> right. is like, will you survive? And I, I think she found that a little bit. Yeah. Not pleasurable. Like these yeah. are human beings and really it's like watching, you know, a daredevil or a, you know, somebody like the, the only question is, are they going to live through this? You know, right? It's uh, right. it's pretty wild. Yeah, on yeah, some yeah. level, that, that, it did bother me. Like on some level, you're kind of watching people being tortured, basically. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. But you know, that's true of a lot of sports too. I would argue. Um, I think that's true. Anyway, that's alone. Season seven is on Netflix. Seasons one through six, actually, the whole the whole show is on Hulu, I, I believe. Uh, and I'm glad you enjoyed it, Jeff. Uh, before we get to our next ad break, you got any other stuff you want to tell us about? Yeah, real quick, uh, I fans of the show, listeners of the show will know that I'm a big stand-up comedy fan, uh, also a big fan of Tig Notaro, and she recently debuted a new special that does something I don't think I've ever seen before. Um, it is a stand-up special, a straight-up stand-up special, where she's on a stage telling jokes to a crowd, but the entire thing... You never see her on the stage telling jokes to a crowd on video. The entire thing is animated. Mm. It is every second of it is drawn. It is animated. It must have cost a pretty penny. I'm sure much more expensive than your average stand-up special because it would pay people to animate your show. But uh, yeah, I mean, there are shots of her on the stage, but they are it's a cartoon version of her on the stage. Uh, but every moment, every every punchline, every beat, every facial tick. Uh, and she does a number of jokes where, you know, we've all heard stand-up comedy albums or uh, audio-only versions of a stand-up routine where the comedian will be like, and then she looked like this. And we're like, oh, I wonder what he's doing in front of the audience right now. You know, there's plenty of jokes uh, where the it's a visual gag 
that she is performing in front of people and she must have asked the animators to provide the visual gag there. So they, they're doing the facial tick. They're doing whatever. Uh, and, and of course they have license to exaggerate and, and make it more, um, more intense because they're, they don't have to be bound by the normal <laughs> rules of physics. Uh, and a number of times, I mean, much of the show is also taking the ideas that she's talking about and illustrating them, right. Going into full, uh, full scenes of other kinds of characters. She talks about an animal. You see that animal moving around. It's it's fully animated. Uh, and it is an interesting experiment, I think, in in doing that. I mean, ob- obviously stuff like the Ricky Gervais show has done similar things. And um, you, I mean, I've obviously seen jokes animated, but I don't know of an entire stand-up comedy special done like this. And I thought it was kind of a cool, cool thing for her to do. And, and there's lots of crowd work. Like she does lots of crowd work where she's interacting with the live audience. So these weren't all scripted, you know, planned jokes. There's a lot of improv jokes and that's all in there and it's all animated and the people in the audience are drawn and animated. It's a, and it's not like, um, you know, it's not rotoscope. It's not like waking yeah, life or some, anything some like that. Some questions in the chat about like, what does it look like? Is it CG? Is it hand drawn? No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's all hand drawn like a cartoon. Um, it, it's not rotoscoped. It's not, you know, it's not that, um, Waking Life or, yeah. or other films like that where they, you know, take video and then just draw over it. This is, it's a full-on, like, handed to an animation studio and, like, let's make a cartoon out of it. And it doesn't sound like this was, like, the product of COVID or the pandemic, like, that she couldn't I would go guess perform. I, my guess is that it was in development a lot longer than that, but okay. I don't know that for sure. Uh, well, that's Tig Notaro drawn. And where can you watch it, Jeff? It's on Netflix. All right, and it sounds like it's worth checking out. That's what Jeff Kanata. Wait, wait, I think. It might not be on Netflix. It might be on HBO Max. Uh, It's on one of the streaming services. Pardon me for not knowing. Uh, Find it. Yeah, it's uh, HBO. HBO Max. HBO, yeah, yeah. So take Notaro drawn on HBO and HBO Max. That's what Jeff Kanata has been watching this week. Hey, everyone. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Pretty Litter. Everything I do for my cat is rooted in love, even when they're really testing my patience because I always want what's best for them. That's even when my cat is asleep on my lap and I really need to use the bathroom during a movie or accepting the fact that my furniture will always be destroyed or, you know, the many other things cats do. I have one that loves to steal food if I'm not looking closely. But I also show my love by keeping tabs on my cat's health because nothing is more important than their health and well-being. That's why I use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter is the best litter for your cat. It changes colors to help detect early signs of potential illness, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues. And in the past, this has helped me detect UTIs with my cats and get them medication and get them fixed up pretty quickly. Litter box cleanup is also easier with Pretty Litter 2. Its ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly, and it lasts up to a month. And this is certainly better than scooping clay litter, which can get really dusty and really messy if you're not careful. Pretty litter is also safer for your cat and the whole household. Many conventional litters contain irritants that can aggravate allergies and asthma, but Pretty Litter's super light crystal base minimizes mess and dust. I think best of all, Pretty Litter arrives safely at my door in a small lightweight bag. Shipping is free, and I never have to worry about storing huge, bulky containers. It really beats running to the pet store and lugging back huge boxes. When I lived in New York, I had to do that on foot, and that was definitely not fun. Love is putting your cat's health first with Pretty Litter. 
Do what I did and make the switch today by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code FILMCAST for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code FILMCAST for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code FILMCAST. Peter Serretta, what have you been watching this week? Well, I saw the first three episodes of Marvel's What If. This is... Ooh! Yeah. So jealous! Yeah, I know. Um... As a kid reading Marvel comics, my favorite of the comics was actually the What If series, which would take a famous event from the comic books and show you what would have happened if, you know, the X-Men all died or if, you know, someone else became uh, Wolverine instead of, you know, it it would have all these uh, scenarios. And I I always loved that. Like, I I don't know, that that appealed to me much more than I I think like the continuing storyline sometimes was like there's so much mythology that it was kind of I I didn't understand what was going on in some of the characters. Um, But these were like self-contained and that to me was so appealing. Um, So they have tried to translate that to TV on Disney Plus with this new series. And it's interesting. And uh, Jeff, I'm not sure how much about this do you know? I'm not going to spoil anything, but I'm just wondering what you know. Um, my, uh, my understanding is that it, it is also animated. Is that yes. right? Yeah. That's the, what I know the, it's animated and I know it's, it, it is, um, it's got a lot of the original, uh, MCU cast as voiceover actors, but that's all I know really. Yeah. So the interesting thing here is it's not bringing those comics to life. It is set in the Marvel cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So it's taking the events that we've seen over the last 12 13, what, 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 however long, I guess 13 now, 13 years of Marvel movies and wondering what would have happened if, you know, Peggy Carter became Captain America instead of Steve Rogers or what if um, uh, uh, Black Panther became Star-Lord instead of Peter Quill. Um, wow. so, stuff like that. Like uh, uh, the, the, there's a bunch of episodes. I've seen the first three. Um, the animation is stunning as great action. The guy that directed it, uh, his name is Brian Andrews. He's the guy that's been doing the the storyboards for all the Marvel movies uh, from Avengers 1 on, like all the action scenes. And this has wow. been like his big break of like directing something. And uh, the action looks a lot better than I think like the talking scenes. Um, but uh, I liked it a lot. Uh, the... The, the good and bad of it is, yes, they have like a lot of the same actors performing the roles from the movies, reprising their roles. Uh, the bad of it is they have a lot of the same actors reprising the roles <laughs> because <laughs> wow. they're, they're not they're not great voice actors, or maybe mm. they just didn't get good performances over over. Um, I'm guessing Zoom. they were Zoom, <laughs> yeah, because of the pandemic. Yeah. So, uh, so, so there's that, and also like it, it's weird to see a Marvel thing where everything's so self-contained to that one episode, mm. and it isn't connected. Not to say that it won't connect in some way. There's been some hints that they might connect in some way, and there might be that this might be canon in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, you know, uh, following the events of Loki and such. And um, but uh, I will say that. The first episode didn't wow me, but by the time I got to the third, like it progressively got better. So I think this is going to be like the one Marvel show. Dave, I know you have been impressed with like the early episodes of the Marvel shows and they've kind of gone downhill for you. I think this is going to be the one Marvel show that maybe goes in the other direction. Uh, well, I would say Loki was like pretty consistently good, you know, uh, not great, but like pretty good. Yeah. Uh, WandaVision was like really good until the finale. 
and then Falcon Winter Soldier went downhill real fast. So I, 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 so basically, I don't agree with your assessment. Like I think okay. some of them like have gotten good, but uh, well, and, and Loki, I, Loki, I believe this is very was, consistent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say Loki and Loki was pretty consistent overall. I'd say. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to this. Probably going to do another recap show about it. So uh, we will see. Um, but I'm glad you liked the first three episodes of What If, which will be streaming on Disney Plus uh, in the near future. Yeah, and, I, uh, and the way I watched them, I'm not sure if this is the way that people are going to watch them, but like, you really don't know what the story is going into it. So it's, I know What If has been kind of compared to like Twilight Zone, but I, I almost want to compare it to like Black Mirror in this case of like, mm. you're kind of waiting to figure out what is the twist. Right, right. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so that's kind well, of interesting. It's premiering on August 11th on Disney Plus. Uh, and that's What If. Peter, what else are we watching? Yeah, uh, since we're talking about Jungle Cruise later in this episode, I wanted to bring up Behind the Attraction. This is the new series on Disney Plus. I guess I'm talking about a lot of Disney Plus stuff. Uh, but this is a documentary series. Uh, it's about Disney theme park attractions. And it's also from The Rock's production company. And uh, you probably know. You know, I have a YouTube channel called Ordinary Adventures. We go to a lot of theme parks. I love theme parks. Theme parks is a big part of my life. I uh, really love the Imagineering story, which is one of the the series that kind of uh, launched with Disney Plus. So I was really excited about this because it seemed like it had all the the makings of something I would love. And each episode kind of tells you the behind the scenes of how an attraction came to life, telling you the Imagineer's journey and all the interesting stories. There's a lot of interesting stories in the world of the uh, Disney Imagineering. That said, it really seems like the approach here was let's uh, have you ever, have you guys ever seen any of like those shows, like the toys that made us or the movies that made us? Sure. Yeah. Which aren't bad, but it feels like the, yeah, they are bad. Some of, they, some of them uh, are bad. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. They have enough in it that I'll watch them, but the narration just like doesn't trust that the material is interesting enough. So it has to like make fun of the thing and make jokes and like I don't know. They they have some really good stuff here. Like they have some good interviews with imagineers and like during the middle of the interview like the voiceover guy will like interrupt the person and like make fun of them and i don't know it just really has that kind of that kind of vibe to it that said i think there's enough interesting info here that especially if you aren't a hardcore disney uh land fanatic like me don't know a lot of these stories there's there, there's stuff i i didn't even know that uh stories being told here that it's still worth watching but it's it's very cringe there's there's a lot of cringe i'm i'm surprised that the rock saw this and was like i'm gonna put my name on this but mm. yeah does it does it focus on one attraction each episode is that the yes a kind of like so the star tours episode does star tours and then it goes into galaxy's edge as mm. like the end part of it uh, but yeah mostly it's like one attraction per episode but sometimes that's like weird jeff so like uh like space mountain there's bunch of different space mountains so it, it's not just that one space mountain in disneyland it's about the disney world the one you know the ones overseas so it's telling you yeah. the story of all those um it, it, it's worth checking out but uh there is sometimes though like i kind of just had to you know cringe i guess yeah well that's behind the attraction and it's available right now on disney plus right yes 
And right. the, last, the last thing I wanted to tell you guys about, uh, it's not something I've uh, watched recently. I have just haven't had time recently to be watching TV, but I wanted to bring up something that maybe not wasn't on your radar. I don't think I've heard uh, talked about on this podcast. It's a show called Cruel Summer, and it's on Freeform, which to be honest with you, I've never watched anything on Freeform before. I think that was like ABC Family before it was Freeform. And, uh, but this is actually very good. It's, it's from, it's created by the writer of the movie Easy A. Uh, mm. the, fir- the first episode is directed by Max Winkler, uh, Henry Winkler's son, who has directed some, some cool stuff. Um, and the, it is a, it is a drama. It is kind of a teen drama, but it's also a thriller and a mystery. And, uh, I'm going to give you the premise here. So the show takes place on the same day or week in three different years. So it mm. takes place in the 90s, in 1993, 1994, and 1995. In 1993, we start off with this girl who is a wallflower. She's not popular. She has a, a group of like two friends. Uh, and uh, she looks up to this girl that's the popular girl in school. In 1994, a year later, on the same day, it's her birthday in 1994, uh, the girl in high school has been missing for months. Has gone missing, assumed dead. Uh, she's basically replaced this popular girl in the, the social clique in the high school. And then we cut to 1995. Again, her birthday in 1995, a year later, and she's awaiting trial and is hated by the whole community. We don't know. Did she kill her? Was she responsible for killing her? Did she, what happened? So it's cutting between these three. Yeah. So like on on any given episode, it'll have stuff between these three time timelines. Yes. Yes. And it's always connected by some kind of event. Like, you know, the first episode is like a birthday. The second episode is like a community party uh, around July 4th. So it it kind of, uh, you see how this community changes over the course because this event with this missing girl has kind of rocked this community and changed the dynamics. Uh, the interesting thing here too, is the, the actors are actually pretty good and they have dramatically different appearances in each of the years. So, you know, you can, you can basically tell what year they're in just by seeing what they look like. And, uh, uh, yeah. So I, I, I would recommend, I, I've not finished it. I've watched the for, I have two episodes left, but um, of the first season, I think they're making a season two. But the concept, the, the the premise of the show of this missing girl, I don't think is like the most compelling thing in the world. But the the way it is presented in these three different timelines intercut, I think, is really really interesting in how they use it to make you ask questions and then answering them in different you know different years and. Um, and uh, oh, uh, Kevin Smith's daughter is in this, and I have not enjoyed her in anything I've seen so far. But I enjoyed her in this. She's good. She's actually good in this. Uh, Harley Quinn Smith. So this is on Freeform. I'm not sure where you can stream it. I know you can stream it somewhere because I'm streaming it. Uh, yeah, it's on my YouTube TV. Um, so uh, I, I've added it to my list because of what you just said, Peter Serretta. Yeah. So it's Cruel Summer, and it's streaming wherever you can get Freeform. All right, uh, I'll run through a couple quick things that I've been watching. Uh, I had a chance to, you know, I I talked about this recently about how uh, physical media, 
it's a thing that's going away, right? Like people aren't buying physical media as much. Peter Serretta, I, I know Jeff like basically has an aversion to it. Peter, I don't remember. Do you keep? Are you the guy that keeps the <laughs> discs in the little sleeves? Right? Is that what I? Yeah. Am I calling that correctly? Yeah. So Peter like discards his Blu-ray boxes and then just keeps the discs in like these big books, which is much more space efficient, right? And um, I don't buy new Blu-rays anymore. So I just don't have buy new the, I just have the ones that I own because I never want to go into the sleeves and get the disc and put it into right. the player. It's such a pain in the butt. Um, but I can just click, Dave. I can just click. I'm still a believer in physical media, and one of my favorite things to do is buy a Criterion disc Blu-ray, uh, watch the movie, and then just sit on my couch or on my chair and like read the liner notes. Like every Criterion disc has an essay about the cultural significance of that movie, and uh, I don't know. I just it feels like a little mini film class, you know. I get when I'm like watching these movies and. And reading the little essays in the books, uh, I, I, I enjoy the process. And I recently did that during a Criterion sale. I bought the movie Blowout, uh, which is directed by Brian De Palma. Have you guys seen Blowout, the 1981 oh, yes. film? Of yes. course. Yeah, and this movie's awesome. You know, yeah. uh, so Blowout is basically about John Travolta, uh, who plays a movie sound effects guy who believes he has accidentally recorded a political assassination. Uh, like he's out there recording uh, sounds in the field and he believes he has recorded a murder happening. And the, the, you know, the, the movie like mostly unfolds from there uh, and that, that, that incident drives the action in the movie, but uh, it, it's, uh, it's a fascinating movie and it, it, it just is rare. The first of all, like that job in to some degree exists today, but it's much less tactile today, right? Because you have John Travolta, he's like surrounded by all these um, reels of sound effects. Uh, it looks like, you know, Bo Burnham's house in Inside on Netflix, you know, like he's just like <laughs> surrounded by all this like equipment and stuff like that. Um, and there's a real tactility to like his craft that is brought to life in this movie. Um, but also just, there's a lot that this movie is trying to say about the state of America and politics that I can't really get into without spoiling it. And even though it is like 40 years old, I don't want to spoil it right now in case you haven't seen it yet and you want to, because I think it is worth checking out. Uh, there are a couple of shots towards the end of this movie that are absolutely legendary, like all time greatest shots of all time, like it, it, on my list. And, uh, and I think it's just, it's just a wonderful movie that's like about one part of the movie making process. And we rarely, see that um jeff canada you said you've seen it yes oh not recently but yes of course i saw it back in college um what what recollections do you have of it man uh I, it was it was during a period where i was just sort of discovering De Palma and yeah. what was special about him um you know i think those of us uh, you know folks that only know him uh you know from the mission impossible movie onward don't understand what like a, a force of nature he was and, and what a big deal he was. Um, but man, that movie proves it. It's like, it's an incredible, incredible visually. Um, uh, that's, that's what I remember most about it. Like that, the way that the ending unfolds is yeah. like yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so huge fan of this movie. Uh, the criterion disc is available for purchase. 
I don't know if it's streaming on Criterion Channel. Uh, that's one of the things I'm not a huge fan of the Criterion Channel is like some of the stuff that's in the Criterion Collection is not streaming on the Criterion Channel. Like it shifts every month. And, um, you know, some people appreciate that it, it shifts and it's a whole new set of stuff. But like, I'm like, oh, I just wish I had like a, I wish I had a consistent place I could access all that stuff, you know? So that's why I just buy the discs. Um, but anyway, Blowout, it's available on Criterion Collection. It's still an awesome movie that has a lot of relevance to what we're going through today. Finally, I want to give a shout out to two reality shows I've been watching on Netflix. These are really close to the reality shows in the connotation that Jeff Kanata thinks of them, Mm -hmm. which is to say like trash. Now, there is a show called Sexy Beasts that debuted on Netflix recently, and it's uh, a dating show where people are... The the premise of the show is, hey, we're going to disguise these people in this extremely thick makeup. And you don't get to see what they look like, but you, they go on these dates and then, you know, you have to decide whether you want to go on another date with them just based on, you know, not look, not how they look, but you know, what, what their personality and what your interactions have been like. This show is terrible. I award it no Wait, points the, and may God the, have mercy on all of our souls. You're, I, you're I, leaving out that the, you said th- thick makeup. If there's, if anybody's not familiar with the show, <laughs> they look, it looks like what if, Bojack Horseman was a real, <laughs> was in real IRL. Yeah, yeah. Like, like uh, makeup, you're right, is not the right word. Like, prosthetics is, is yeah. the best word, right? Like, it's full on. Like, like, think like Klingons from like Star Trek, like that level of. Oh, prosthetics. beyond that, even, I would say. I mean, it's, it's, you know, these people are turned into uh, dolphin people and yeah, uh, yeah. bears and yaks. And it is, it's, uh, it's a grotesquerie of, uh, of... So, yeah, I mean, it's very, it reminds you a lot of, like, The Masked Singer, which itself, that show, has a very Fall of the Roman Empire-style feel to it. You know, like, it, it, it's very silly. But the, the, the thing is, here's the thing. Now, I, I don't know if you guys have ever watched The Bachelor, right? Do you guys ever watch The Bachelor? No. The Bachelor is a ludicrous show because the idea is like, oh, this is the reality show, and the, the premise is you are going to find true love at the end of this, right? Like... You're going to go through these tests and these dates. And at the end, you're going to marry this person, right? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just on its face. It's like, how can you actually find true love under these ridiculous conditions where like you're being filmed, you know, there's other people who are like want, wanting to literally fight you. Uh, and you know, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, I don't want to derail your point. I, I want you to get your point. So don't, yeah. don't lose your point. I want to get to it, but yeah. it just, it, it makes me laugh that, you go to such great pains to chastise me for making a distinction <laughs> between one kind of reality mm-hmm, show mm-hmm, and another. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. here you are making that same distinction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, well, the point I was making is, you know, I, I think The Bachelor is on its face ridiculous, right? Like, and, you know, the, the fact that the, the show has gone for so many episodes, I just like, I, I, I can barely comprehend it. But... Despite all the and and arguably you know arguably the bachelor is a net negative for society. Okay. Well, the craziest but, thing is that people keep people keep watching the show on the same pretense, even though the pretense has been completely debunked. Correct. 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 It's but, wild to me that people but, are willing to just not care about that. Despite all that, okay, one of the benefits the bachelor has is that. Uh, 
at, at least it makes it feel like there are stakes attached. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay, well, these people are like going to get married. Maybe they won't get married. Maybe they'll get divorced or whatever. But like, at least the show is building to something. On Sexy Beast, it's like, are you going to go out another date with this person? <laughs> right. That is the stake. Do you want to have? Do you want to have another a, free dinner? A third date. That that is that is the stake. And it's like, okay, well, who gives a shit? You know, like, and then <laughs> they look then, like, like a yak. The other thing about Sexy Beast that's terrible is the casting is really bad. Like, these people are just. I watched two episodes and all these people are deplorable. Like I, I just am like, <laughs> I hate these people so much. I, I found, I find nothing to root for here. Uh, and it, it makes me appreciate how hard it is to do good casting for a reality TV show. You need interesting people that you want to not even root for, but at least want to learn more about, you know, do, do they at least go into the, uh, the the manner in which they apply the make is there any kind of behind the scenes of no if not I'm that, no. if I'm even mildly curious about the makeup itself I, I don't know nothing. if they released the making of featurette or anything like that but I didn't I didn't see it um it, there, there is virtually no redeeming value to this show whatsoever the the makeup is well done you know like so yes. if you want to see decently applied makeup but even the way the makeup is done like completely negates the whole premise because you can still see the other person's body, you know? And like, <laughs> I, if the purpose is to like completely obscure uh, what their physical appearance is, you, you can still see their body, you know? So it's like, the whole premise is stupid. It, it just is like, so do not watch the show. It's terrible. It, literally any other show I've mentioned, like The Bachelor, Sexy Beast, even, oh, I'm sorry, not Sexy Beast, um, Mass Singer, even, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, <laughs> Love is blind. Like any any of these shows are like better than Sexy Beast. So mm. Sexy Beast terrible. Dave, um, yes. Ha- have you tried watching the second season of Love Is Blind? Well, there was there was new specials that were released this week. Yeah, there was like some new yes. episodes of like Love Is Blind after yes. the altar. A- after the altar, and no, I, I, I have I, watched these. <laughs> I was really I was really compelled by the first season by the yes, premise. The premise is so the, compelling. I'm watching. I'm watching. You know, love is blind, and I'm like, oh my gosh, the, the casting is so much better because some of these people are complete train wrecks, but like, at least they're interesting. You know what I mean? Anyway, you, so you 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 were watching your love is well, blind. Well, I was I was, I was going to agree with you on or disagree <laughs> with you here. I was going to say that like the second season of Love and uh, Love is Blind or special episodes, yeah. whatever you want to call it, uh, are not compelling because it's like them a year later and it. There isn't the premise of them being stuck in the rooms talking to people. I don't know. It turns turns out out love isn't blind at all. Well, it it relies all on the casting and not on the premise because it's just like normal relationships. It's just normal people getting together. That's it. Yeah. Who gives a shit about any of this? Yes. Love was blind and no longer is. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I promise I'm not trying to pick a fight here, but you truly don't see the value in making a distinction between alone and sexy beasts there is absolutely no value at all jeff <laughs> absolutely no value at all uh but i am gonna say here's what i'm speaking of reality shows i don't know i've been watching a lot of reality shows recently uh one i actually will recommend as like here's the thing you can turn on and kind of enjoy with like your your significant other is a show called tattoo redo have you guys heard of the show tattoo redo oh this it's is on- brilliant it's I on haven't... Netflix, okay? And so Sexy Beast, Love is Blind, these are all Netflix, and so is Tattoo Redo. And basically, it's about these people who have bad tattoos, and they go in, 
<laughs> and they're like, I need to get another tattoo to cover this up. And they go in with a friend. And the premise is the friend that chooses what the tattoo is. And they don't, they don't know what it is until it's done. And what the fuck? That I, yeah, doesn't I, seem like a good idea, Dave. I, I, I know. And I, I severely question the like verisimilitude of what's going on. Like, I don't believe that they actually have no idea what's being put on there. Like, maybe they don't see it, but maybe they know what the concept is. You know what I'm saying? Um, because I just feel because here's the thing about tattoo redo is the tattoos that are put on the people are fucking massive. Like, so it's like, Oh, I, I got a little like, you know, anchor of a ship that's like on my back and it doesn't look good. And so then the person freaking tattoos, like a pile of snakes on there. That's like eight times the size. And I'm just like, <laughs> Holy pile shit. Of snakes. Holy pile shit. Of like, snakes. You, I mean, you, you're, you're laughing, but it's actually like arguably more extreme than that. Some of these cases. Um, so you came up with a pile of snakes I, out I, of the blue. I, I mean, there's stuff in there that I, I'm not joking is more extreme than what I just said. And, and it's okay. like, I'm just like, if if I had like a tiny innocuous potato on my on my elbow, and you put a fucking pile of snakes on there, <laughs> I would be mortified. I, you know, I, we wouldn't want, be friends anymore. I want to pitch our new reality show entitled <laughs> pile of snakes pile of snakes on a plane that sells itself <laughs> uh but some of the moments that actually you know like some of the times that people choose like tattoos that have like some emotional significance to the person that's getting the tattoo and they see it and they have a reaction that feels pretty hard to fake you know like it feels like this is a genuine reaction so i actually recommend this one i think it's light and it's fun <laughs> and at the same time some of these tattoos are freaking enormous and scary uh right. and i think you, so this is a, you know at the end of the day jeff i know you want to turn the brain off sometimes Tattoo literally TV. literally nothing you've said makes me want to watch that show really why why is that why is that Does well i'm sound not stressful? a tattoo i'm not a tattoo person i have zero tattoos do i and... strike you as a tattoo person jeff <laughs> <laughs> not before this conversation <laughs> now you're all pile of snakes this and pile of snakes that i'm not a tattoo person either is what i'm saying like yeah i, I it's just it's just interesting. Oh, by far the most interesting part of the show is people explaining the story of how they got the bad tattoo. Like mm, there's a okay. different interesting story every time. Like right. I lost a bet or, you know, I was drunk in Tijuana or what, you know, like. And, well, the next, the good news is the next version of that is they're like, I was on this reality show. Well, that's <laughs> why, do have, like, why, why do you have that pile of snakes tattoo? Is, is the tattoos these people get are so big that the next one, the, the next tattoo redo is going to be like 10x as much work to like undo yeah. it, you know? This is, uh, this is tattoo feature creep is what this is. It's Indeed. ballooning Indeed. out of control. Creep. Scope yeah, creep. Scope yeah, creep. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. It should be called tattoo scope creep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, tattoo redo is streaming on Netflix. It's pretty enjoyable. If you're looking for like a, a pretty fun reality show, check it out. All right, folks, let's get to weekly plugs. Weekly plugs are the part I show each week where we plug something that we have created or that's something someone else has created that we're a big fan of. Uh, this week, I want to plug an interview I did for Culturally Relevant with Kaveh Zahedi, the director of the show about the uh, show. Dave, this is so good. I appreciate it. I appreciate it's it. It's so good. I listened, was excited to listen, and you did not let me down, buddy. <laughs> this was a phenomenal interview. Well, well thank done. you, sir. I... I 
tried to kind of challenge him on some of the things that I think like came up during yeah. our discussion on the film cast and people can judge how well that went. Um, and you know, I, I think there's more things to challenge him on. I've gotten some really meaningful feedback about it. Uh, so yeah, if you have a chance, I, yeah, dude, I, I would love to do a two hour podcast about your one hour <laughs> podcast <laughs> with comedies ahead. The podcast about the podcast. Uh, yeah, well, I would totally do that. I mean, right. I thought it was fascinating. He brings up some such interesting notions and his worldview I find to be so interesting. And, you know, obviously you can, one can judge it and whatever, but it's so, it's such an interesting moral place that he, that he lives in. It's, it's so, so because he puts his money where his mouth is, man. Yeah. He like lives it. It's wild. Yeah. Dave, didn't um, you mention that they're doing like a season two of the show? They're kickstarting the season three and four right or th- now. Or season three yeah. and four. Yeah. You should do a podcast show that follows <laughs> that show. Call it the podcast about the podcast. I think that uh, my involvement at this point uh, is probably going to stop at this interview. Um, oh, okay. Just because, uh, just because <laughs> I, I think it's you know like uh, I'm grateful for having interviewed him, and I think um, I got to let the show about the show play out in the way it's supposed to play out. And uh, people can watch it on YouTube and listen to the interview on culturally relevant and decide whether this is something they want to uh, support. But yeah, I think, I think this is, this is where it's going to end for me. Well, Peter, Um, you know, we both know that the real title would be the podcast about the show about the show. Yes. The podcast about the podcast about the show show, potentially. Yeah. Um, Anyway, that's on culturally relevant. Peter Serretta recommended weekly plug for us. Uh, yes, I have a YouTube channel called Ordinary Adventures, which I do with my girlfriend Kitra. Uh, we go to theme parks. Uh, this last last oh, a week ago, we went to Disneyland, and if you're a normal person like myself, <laughs> and you go to Disneyland, you buy a day ticket to Disneyland, and that's how most people experience Disneyland. But I'm not sure if you guys know this, but if you're rich, if you're a celebrity, if you mm-hmm. have disposable money but you don't have the time, you can get a thing, what they call a VIP tour. And what mm-hmm. a VIP tour is, is you pay uh, upwards to like 4000 to $5,000 and you can get a group of up to 10 people and you have a cast member with you. Uh, they're dressed in a plaid outfit. They're called plaids and they will get get you to do anything they'll get you anything they're like the infinity gauntlet of disneyland they they have all the power you can go on any ride you want without waiting in any lines uh, in a seven hour period i think um, our vip tour guide said he once like went on like 30 rides in seven hours which to give you an idea like disneyland right now on a busy day most rides have like a 40 to 40 minute wait. So, um, so anyways, we, we were lucky enough. We, we did not pay for this ourselves. We were lucky enough to to have some friends who invited us to go on their VIP tour to experience this. And we recorded what it's like to go on a VIP tour at Disneyland and like what it's like to experience Disneyland as stress-free as possible. It it is, it is weird, Dave. It is like (laughs) someone on the tour with us, mentioned just mentioned offhandedly that his cell phone was dying didn't like say to the tour guide my cell phone's dying or anything just mentioned to like whatever and two two minutes later we're walking down main street and a plaid comes at us and hands 
does a handoff to our plaid with a uh, iPhone charger, like a battery to, to give to the guy. Like he didn't even know that was coming. I don't know. It, it's just like, it, I imagine if you are Dwayne Johnson experiencing <laughs> Disneyland, this is how you experience Disneyland. Uh, but it's crazy. It's crazy to uh, experience it this way. I've been to Disneyland, you know, hundreds of times and I've never seen the access and how many rides we were able to do and what we were able to accomplish in such a short period of time. We walked up to the fireworks show at the end of the night with one minute before the fireworks and, you know, got ushered to this, this place where there, there's a red velvet uh, uh, th- thing and they, they had seats for us in the, the best possible seats in the house. I don't know. It, it's just, it, it was cool. It was cool. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we were invited. Uh, I'm not bragging. We, we recorded, we were lucky enough to be able to record a, a video about this experience and to show people that will probably <laughs> like myself, who, you know, I've been to, going to Disneyland for, you know, the last few decades and never experienced something like this uh, to see what that experience is like. And that's all. Yep. Go ahead. Did it ruin you for, uh, for ordinary adventures? I don't want to say it ruined me. You know what? Before this, Jeff, I don't think I saw the appeal in this at all. Like, I was like, that's a lot of money. Well, first of all, I don't have $4,000 to do that for seven hours. You need need $400 and nine friends. Yeah, that's what I realized. And I totally think that is worth it. If you had like a birthday, like if you had a special, Mm -hmm. something really special, it, it, it could, it is like really literally the best day at Disneyland, which I feel bad saying because it's like saying if you have money, you can, you I have can a bypass all the this. rules. I have a friend who did this. He works at Google. He, I have a friend and uh, he said he they, he can't do it the other way now. He's like, that's <laughs> it's ruined me. I'm, like, I'm, I'm not going to go back to Disneyland because I can't. I have to do it that way. That's the only way to do it. You, you go to we, we got uh, food. We went to eat dinner and our tour guide just had us sit at the table and he went up to the counter, ordered our food, brought the, the food to the table. Yeah. I don't know. It's just so <laughs> you, feel, you feel so feel like a God. King. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I get it. Well, live vicariously uh, through the VIP tour <laughs> on the ordinary adventures, YouTube channel, Jeff Kanata, throw us a weekly plug. Hey, do you like limericks? Oh, uh, I bet you do. I make them. For you, uh, if you like, I'll do it right now. Uh, cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata is where you order limericks. Uh, I sell them bespoke, made specifically for you for any occasion. Any occasion. Birthdays? Yeah, I've done those. Bunch of them. Anniversaries? You betcha. Uh, even weird things. Uh, who cares? What you, You've got a reason. You need a limerick personally delivered by me for you. There's one spot to go, and that's cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. All righty, those are our weekly plugs. Let's get to our review of Jungle Cruise. So what are you doing out here? There is a legend in the jungles of the Amazon of a tree that heals all. It could change the world. But if it gets into the wrong hands, it could awaken a great evil. I believe that the legend is real. Which it's not. And I'm going to find it. Which you want. And when I do, just imagine the lives that could be saved. 
I've been looking for this tree longer than anybody. I've tracked the legend to every village, every island. Nothing. You're searching for something that can't be found. But you've never had the key. Let's do something that's safe. Let's go see some elephants. There are no elephants in the Amazon, and I don't even like elephants. Lady, everybody likes elephants. Know this about the jungle. Everything that you see wants to kill you and can. Careful. They can smell fear. I am not afraid. Oh my gosh. Who brings a submarine to the Amazon? That was from the trailer for Jungle Cruise, the newest film by director Joam Kole Sarah. If you recognize that name, despite my terrible pronunciation, that is the guy who directed films such as House of Wax and Orphan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he made a bunch of Liam Neeson movies, specifically Nonstop, Run All Night, and The Commuter. He also got The Shallows in there. I actually really like that movie, The Shallows, the uh, Blake Lively shark movie. I uh, thought that was very enjoyable. And then uh, now he's directing Jungle Cruise. Here's a plot summary from IMDb. Based on Disneyland's theme park ride, where a small riverboat takes a group of travelers through a jungle filled with dangerous animals and reptiles, but with a supernatural element, end quote. Not a, not a very compelling IMDb summary, I have to say. <laughs> that said... But this one has magic. Indeed, indeed. Okay, so Peter Serrata, I thought you'd be a perfect guest because you are probably familiar with the Jungle Cruise ride, are you not? I am. I love the ride. The ride is a classic. It's a Walt Disney classic. It it opened with Disneyland. It it's amazing. You go on this boat and it's a, a tour around the jungle where there's animatronic animals and people and that uh, you have a skipper who uh, when it opened wasn't like this, but now they tell uh, these bad puns, which you see in the mm. movie here. Um, I was like, did Jeff Kanata write some punch ups on this movie? You know, that's, hey, what I, yeah. that's my favorite part of the ride is the puns. Yeah. yeah. And, so, it, it, and it's one of those rides that like your experience of the ride can vary greatly depending on what skipper you get. It's ooh. most Disney rides are like the same thing, right? Right. but they're not repeating the same exact lines. They have choices of what lines they can read and they have also, you know, performance choices. And so, so the skipper is a human. It's not like an animatronic person or anything. Co- like correct. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Did you not know that Dave? No, I don't think I've ever been on the Jungle Cruise ride. Really? Nor oh. have I been on Pirates of the Caribbean. I've been at Disney oh World and Disneyland before, but I just have never been on those rides. Yeah. So, you were yeah. there for the food. And, yeah. and by the way, <laughs> Dave, I'm not sure if you know this, but this film was filmed you know, before the pandemic. And recently, they actually overhauled the Jungle Cruise ride because there were some problematic depictions yes. of native people that were removed from it but it's funny they're they're kind of in the movie there's there's parts yes of the, the problematic stuff is in the movie still they, they try to have their cake and eat it too yeah. with this they movie. go to great pains yeah. to yeah. make sure that you don't think that yeah. anything bad about the disney corporation yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But it's funny uh, how, like in the ride, they've completely removed it. They mm-hmm. like so it's like they they've kind of the the film is almost a relic at this point because of the pandemic because it it had the the company has gone in this like uh, inclusivity uh, transition with their like they they've introduced a fifth key to the Walt Disney Company. Anyways, yeah, it's it's interesting. Basically, like they can they can have the problematic original depiction, then they reboot it. You know, in a, in a in a situation where they're like undoing the problematic stuff, um, they're they're having their cake and eating it too. All that said, Peter Shreda, 
how did you feel about Jungle Cruise and its transition to the big screen from the theme park? Hmm. Uh, I'll say this. I, I think I liked it uh, more than I should have. <laughs> I don't think it's How a great. How much should you have liked it, Peter? I don't think it's a great movie. I, I honestly don't think it's a great movie. It, it, it I think it has that swash, a swashbuckling fun that like we've been missing. We haven't had like a good like Indiana Jones or Pirates or Mummy. Do you know like one of those movies? And it kind of has you know Dwayne and Emily play off each other and the, with they have a great dynamic in this. But I this it's fun. It's funny. Sometimes the humor is dumb, but uh, I don't know. Like, I at the end of the day, it's so forgettable. But I, I don't, I didn't hate it. I didn't dislike it. I actually enjoyed myself. But I was like, if you ask me, Dave, like, can you remember a tentpole action sequence in this movie? I, I actually struggle, and I just saw it, you know, a week ago. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely feel you on that. Um, here, here's what I'll, here's something else I'm going to point out is speaking of how the movie looks, I think that the reliance on CG, I, I know it's, it's hard to make a movie in the jungle. Like it is <laughs> extremely difficult, right? So I don't envy them, but I feel like there had to be a better mix of CG and reality. My sense is this movie cost, uh, my, well, what I read is this movie cost like around $200 million to make, right? And the Green Knight, the David Lowry movie that is out in theaters right now, uh, it is th- that movie is one of the most visually spectacular movies I have ever seen in my entire life. Jeff, I don't know if you agree with that, even though you didn't like the movie, but like I, I'm noted in, uh, over and over yeah. again, but it's visually spectacular, but in a completely different way. I think you're comparing apples and oranges here. Well, well. Yeah, because one is good and one is bad. Not even no. in that way. Yeah. In, the, in what 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 is being attempted is wildly different. Fair enough, but The Green Knight is a movie that cost uh, reportedly around fifteen million dollars to make, right. and it just there's not a single sequence as much as, as visually beautiful as it is. There's not a single sequence in The Green Knight where anyone is moving above walking speed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they're we're we're, we're shooting down rivers and uh, swinging across ropes yeah, and yeah, uh, no, we got explosions that, and boom boom bow and That's all it, true. That's all true, but I I guess I just feel like I don't know at at, at no point that I believe we were on a boat on a river, you know, in, in oh, Jungle no, Cruise. Oh, no. You're 100% and, right. And that feels like it's important for a movie called Jungle Cruise. You know, that's all I'm saying. Um, but anyway, I, I think that the, the balance of CG to reality was a little bit off and that was unfortunate. All that said, the point, Jeff, the Jeff point you're up, making, yeah, wait, the point you're making is not incorrect. The way you're making it is, I think <laughs> not useful. I just don't think comparing it to the green Knight is like making your point, but I totally agree with your point. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, you know, Jeff, I'm trying to make topical, uh, mm-hmm. comparisons and they're yeah, not always yeah. going to be one-to-one analogies. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And how right. dare you expect that they do be? Um, all that said, Jeff Kanata, what did you think of Jungle Cruise? Well, Dave, <laughs> guess what I think about Jungle Cruise? Yeah, can it be- best be summed up in a topical comparison to another movie that came out this week? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm doing is just topical comparisons now. Really, that's a, that would be amazing because that's what I tried yeah. to do. I got shot down yeah. by my co-host. Though. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> Jungle Cruise is the Green Knight. 
as Transformers is to a car sitting in a driveway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Let's hear it. All right. This is a, this is a limerick. I'm going to do a limerick now. <laughs> I just like how indignant you were that I made that comparison. I mean, I saw these movies within like 48 hours of each other. No, I you know? get it. So, I, one is yeah. gorgeous, yeah. and the other one is The Jungle Cruise. <laughs> I get it. Okay. But it's, I yeah. just don't think... I, know, I don't I, think I like, well, they made that for 15... they're doing different things. I get well, when I get it. Well, you're saying like, well, they, he did that for $15 million. I'm like, yeah, he didn't have The Rock like leaping off of shit and like, you know, hitting <laughs> trees on the way down. You know, it's not... It's like not the same thing. You know? I don't know. All right, Hit us. All right, I'm doing a limerick. (laughs) All right, here we go. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt that this technique will make Disney's balance sheets equal. The costs will defray because not in a good way. I feel like it's the, oh no, it feels like the Lost Pirates sequel. Mm. Mm. I screwed that up. It's okay. It feels like the Lost Pirates sequel is what I mean to say. Uh, this is a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Don't care for the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but this is one. <laughs> this is a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. I love The Rock, man. I love Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He is charming as all get out in this movie. I like Emily Blunt. They're great together. Uh, I think the actors are doing yeoman's work here. I think they're bringing all of the all of the charm at their disposal to what is uh, real not good. Um, but, I mean, this really is a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Like, it looks like the... You know how the, the later Pirates of the Caribbean movies all looked... Had this look to them? Like, everything is got a sheen mm-hmm. and a... It's all constructed... It all looks very, like shiny CG, right? Yes. Yeah. it's all. It, there's an artifice to everything. Uh, that's... With, yeah, you're right, Dave, that the CG in this movie is not convincing. It is not convincing. Uh, I don't like dogging on visual effects because, you know, all there's a million reasons why visual effects can seem bad, quote unquote bad. I find them in this movie very unconvincing, and I know they weren't cheap. Uh, There's a lot of them, Uh, but this movie it it looks it has the look of a pirates movie. It has the beats of a pirates movie. It's crazy to me that they just layered on a pirates movie like there's they're literally a pirate's treasure map and they have to go find this lost treasure. I mean, it's like the MacGuffin, the supernatural stuff that comes in is like straight out of the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. It's crazy. The way the bad guys work is exactly, it's like all the same beats. I I don't understand. I it's, it's somebody went, well, you know, that other theme park movie that worked really well and made us lots of money. Let's just make it exactly the same way. And it's it, this movie, dude. It's got all the bombast and all of the money, but and, and great stars. But dude, it is lifeless and lame. There is a movie. There is a moment in the movie where the movie jumps the shark. You like watch it happen. You go, what? No, I mean, I'll, we'll talk about it in spoilers, but. Literally nothing up to that point has set up this turn. Nothing has set it. And it would have been awesome if they had. Like, it, it is, it's, <laughs> you're right, Peter, that none of the action sequences are particularly awesome. 
Um, everything feels like it's done on a set in a closed space. Um, there, there, it, it's like you wonder what's going. There's a, there's an entire CG character in this movie. A, a, a tiger, I guess. Panther. What is it? A, uh, some cat. Jaguar? Large cat. Jaguar. Jaguar. I don't know. Whatever it is, it doesn't look as good as a single of the cats from the Lion King live action remake. Mm-hmm, like it's mm-hmm. so unconvincing. Or cats, even. Or cats. <laughs> Musical. It doesn't look half as good as Judy Dench. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I love The Rock and he's, he's trying, man. He's trying, but wow. This, this was, this movie, it's not even, it's not even the Jungle Cruise, right? It's, it's, it, it bears zero resemblance. There's like a five minute sequence right at the beginning where he's like giving people the jungle cruise that I found to be so much fun and so charming. And then it just goes, yeah, we're not going to do that at all anymore. We're not going to be that. Okay. We gave it to you, but now we have to, it's so concerned with like outscaling itself in every, every 10 minutes in this movie has to be of a bigger scale. Do you remember the pirates of the Caribbean movies? where they felt this need to like keep making the scale bigger and bigger for no reason whatsoever. There was no point in the plot that made it them need to go bigger and bigger, but it, because it was this Disney machine thing, it needed to have this ever escalating sense of scale. That's what this movie does too. And there's equally no point for it it's a waste of everyone's time and money and energy. And it just, it's a a shame because there's talent here. And I think they could have actually taken the jungle cruise ride and made something interesting, but they're wholly uninterested in making a jungle cruise ride movie. They're making a pirates of the Caribbean movie that has the jungle cruise on it. Well, let me ask you this question. How closely do you think the pirates of the Caribbean movie hues to the pirates of the Caribbean ride? Well, because there's very, a whole supernatural element and the curse yes. of the Black Pearl. Like, no, of is that course. all in the ride? I, I haven't ridden no. on it. Well, now it is. I mean, they retrofit the ride <laughs> right. to the movies because right. the movies were super expensive. Yeah, well, no. no, no. The opening scene of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride showed the pirates as like skeletons still like drinking yeah. and stuff. So was there supernatural, supernatural or the were they just dead? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, Dead Men Tell No Tales is yeah. a skull talking to you. So, yeah. yes. I mean... That's it, there was always a but, level of like ghost ship. There's a whole right. ghost ship sequence in the ride. Right, but you know what I'm but, saying? I, I, I guess I'm saying like the movie added significantly onto the plot of the ride. Right. Is all, all I'm saying. And so, but well, I think, yes. And the fact that there's five movies, right, uh, right, right, you right. know, there's only so much the ride can, but, but I think, I, I guess when you say they could have made this ride into a good movie, like what, what are you wishing the movie had more of? Like just them journeying down the river and encountering all these like adventures down the river. Is that kind of what you were hoping yeah, for? Or, if it yeah. had been, if it had been more like, uh, uh romancing the stone, mm. you know, or something like that, mm-hmm. if it had been a more about exploring if it had been more of an Indiana Jones ripoff, as opposed to a pirates of the Caribbean ripoff. <laughs> it would have been better. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's true. But you know, it, it I'm not saying that the ride is somehow sacred and whoa, man, they really missed out on this <laughs> great, the great narrative of the jungle cruise ride. I'm just saying 
And I'm also not saying they really nailed it with pirates. I hate those movies. Oh, They're man. terrible. I love Pirates 1. I thought that movie was awesome. Well, the first one is not as terrible, but they all get real terrible. And it's hard for me to distinguish. When the series gets so terrible so quickly and stays so terrible <laughs> for so long, it's hard for me to distinguish the first one from that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But um, so, I'm, yeah, I'm not holding up Pirates as like this paragon of what I'm saying. This movie does the same thing that those movies did which is like collapses under the weight of its own like four quadrant mainstream machineness, mm -hmm. you know, it's I, like, it, it's a mess of wanting to be everything to every person instead of having any kind of identity of its own. I think it's a shame because that first half an hour is actually kind of solid. And then the movie, well, I don't like where it starts. Like it needs <laughs> oh, to, it yeah, needs that to start with thing. the rock. Yeah. yeah. Like start with the rock on the thing and and then we can flesh out all of our other characters. But like, get, I, I I agree with you that the beginning is is kind of fun. But and I understand why people make comparisons to the Mummy because that first sequence with Emily Blunt is freaking straight out of the Mummy. <laughs> um, but well, also the Mummy itself is kind of a ripoff of Indiana Jones, which is interesting. Well, of course, but, yeah. yeah. But it's it's Indiana Jones done as a farcical mm -hmm. like cartoon. Yeah. yeah. And this movie wants to be a cartoon for a while and then it decides it doesn't want to be a cartoon anymore. It's 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 a mess, dude. It feels like this the worst of uh, made by committee and no sense of self, no no identity at all. It nothing nothing that pays off is set up. It's all it's 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 real bad, I think. Well, I think I'm right in between you guys in terms of how much I enjoyed it. <laughs> I enjoyed it much more than Jeff I didn't hate it, you know. I didn't. I didn't think it was it was terrible. Um, but I didn't. I didn't love it. I think that the things that I liked about it are how weird it is. This is a Disney movie based off of a ride that begins with a orchestral cover of Metallica's "Nothing Else Matters" that plays <laughs> over a flashback to Agira. Yes, that one. The Spanish conquistador. <laughs> Dude, that made me actively angry. I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> I forgot to mention it. it. It made me actively angry. Like, hmm. you, the, and it is so Pirates of the Caribbean. It is so that, like, mentality. It, it's, we have so much money that we'll just use Metallica as the flashback music, right? We can easily create this ambiance to try to create the sense of like throwback, but no, we're going to use something that probably costs them a crazy amount of money to license. Why? Just because we're making that kind of movie. They, had, know, they had James Newton Howard. Yeah. I mean, it's, first of all, James Newton Howard, according to the credits or, 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 you know, orchestrated or arranged that, that cover of Metallica. So, but it's just, it's ridiculous. Why, it's, why, it's, why, I, I gotta say, Jeff, your anger sounds kind of irrational. Like why, why are you angry that they decided <laughs> to open up the purse strings for Metallica? Like who, you know, I thought it was kind of cool, but like you're, you're angry at it. Cause, cause they didn't to me make why you thought music? it was cool. Why did you think it was cool? It's just such a bold move to open a freaking Disney movie with like, well, I, it shows. I, I never could have predicted that that's how this movie was going to open. In terms well, of, well, it the, shows yeah. that Metallica a literally has no teeth whatsoever anymore. Mm -hmm. Right, Metallica mm -hmm. is the music that I used to put on in my car. Yeah. when I was angry and and, and yeah. wanted people to know I was angry, I and mean, I was sixteen years old and full of angst, and you know, like like 
it's just not that at all. It's, it's it's completely right. benign, you know, flashback music for a Disney movie. It's crazy. But but that's not even what irked me. Like what what irks me is the <laughs> the sort of you know it's it's this weird like we're just giving this to you because you have an association with some good feeling. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't mm-hmm. even do what it's supposed to do, which is sort of set this tone of this flashback it's just like a weird reference it's just like a it's just like money showing up on the screen <laughs> it's so weird to me all right all right well i i have some more thoughts but i, I want to talk about it in the spoilers so I, i'll Sorry, say i didn't mean wait, to, wait, I didn't before, mean to trounce over you yeah, for that i want to say i i also do not like that that uh use of the music but i am just so adverse to using modern music mm-hmm. in a movie that's supposed to be like a period piece yeah, like anachronistic I, music yeah yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Um, but it's not the only weird thing that would happen in this movie. I want to talk about more of them in spoilers. So let's get to it. Spoilers for Jungle Cruise starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. All right, let's talk about spoilers. Uh, so I'm going to say that this movie has some of the most scary and horrifying images I've seen in a movie in the last year. <laughs> uh, and I saw The Green Knight this week. I don't know if you know that, Jeff. Um, but <laughs> You stayed awake for the whole thing. There's stuff in this movie that's really deeply upsetting. Like, first of all, Aguirre and his men like murder that whole tribe. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. And then... Like they are kind of these like jungle monsters. Like, well, man made of snakes is a pretty intense image. And, and then, and then he just like throws snakes at some guy's face and it kills the guy. And it's like, yeah, the like I will cut your face. Oh, that's your mistake because there's snakes under there, under it, my it, face. It's horrifying. It's it's yeah. all horrifying. And and you know this is stuff that like again I think Jump Sarah's like uh, horror roots are showing. And I think it makes the movie distinctive because, like, I don't think if this movie was directed by Christopher Columbus, it would have had that stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So, like, uh, so I appreciate all of these kind of really off things. The movie begins with Jesse Plemons literally murdering four innocent people. Like, I don't know if you yeah. noticed that. Well, like, decide, in, in a way that's, like, straight out of a Scorsese movie. Yes. He, he's like, you, you told him my real name. Now they have to all die i guess and he just it's, murders them and then and then later on he's taking orders from from bees <laughs> you know like dude it it's it, it makes no goddamn sense i'm just saying i'm just saying the movie is so weird that like you, you you're saying it's like made by committee it it might be made by committee in the sense that every single idea is shoved into this movie like i agree with you yeah. on that but i don't think it's made by committee in the sense that it's boring like that's where I disagree with you. I think that I don't there's, think it's. I don't. I, I don't there's I, so many like weird off kilter things in this movie that it, it, it. I I I wasn't bored, and I thought it. You was don't kind think of, that you don't think that Snake Man and B Boy and Groot <laughs> all could easily have been bad guys in a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Like I, it, I don't. I, I mean, I I agree with you that that's the case, but I don't inherently see trying to be a Pirates of the Caribbean movie is a bad thing. Like, I'm like, why, mm. why are you objecting to that? Like, it's, it's a freaking Disney World ride or Disneyland ride. Like, 
they have to add some plot to it. And I think that it's fine what they did. You know, um, the, the thing here, Dave, is sure this movie has that opening sequence where it kind of has that flashback. Yeah. The, the backstory, but yeah. there really isn't any indication that this movie, aside from the MacGuffin being the tree of life, which could, could be the MacGuffin of an Indiana Jones movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, aside from that, there's no indication that this is going to be like supernatural. I, I agree. The moment when the rock reveals that so he's, dumb. you know, that he's cursed or whatever, like that's, so it's dumb. like, oh, wow, the movie has changed completely, but it's only because of exposition. It's not because of anything yeah. that the movie has done until that exactly. point, right? Uh, now, uh, if you had had, if, if you had, had an, uh, the, all of the buildup to that, uh, like, you have an entire sequence where you have The Rock fighting a giant cat to prove that he's uh, awesome, so she'll hire him, and then you find out that he was just j- faking it the whole time. Wouldn't that seem like a pretty good place to establish the fact that he's a goddamn immortal <laughs> they like wouldn't that be a great place like, they have to pull like, the, like the the fact that he could actually be killed by the cat and stand up afterward doesn't that seem like a good method by which he could pull off instead of like he befriended it and it t- works like a human being somehow or like a house cat like you have all these opportunities to create this question in your head of like how the hell did the rock do that? That's amazing. And then when you would have that, you could have a reveal where he's like, Oh, he was, he really was murdered by that big cat. And it was okay because he's an immortal. Like Peter Serena, you were going to say something. Sorry. Just I was now. just, I was just going to say at that moment where they have that reveal, Kitra looks over at me and says, <laughs> I do not like this movie. <laughs> Bravo Kitra. <laughs> why, why uh, is that? Why is that? I think it is, I don't know. It feels unearned probably, right? Unearned, number one. Number two, I, I think the expectations here are not what, what is being delivered by this movie. I know you're you're making jokes of like, you know, this is a movie based on a theme park ride. But like the theme park ride had nothing like supernatural or... <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think you go into expecting one kind of movie and you get something else. It ends up being something else and it's not something else at the start of it it's like something else way yeah into it hard left turn yeah yeah that's the part i kind of like started to get off board with it as well it jumps the shark in that moment like the movie it it, you just go what come on movie this is ridiculous Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and 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 the the real shame of it is if they had been writing the script the entire time knowing the rock was that they could have had all kinds of really cool buildups and questions in the audience mind as to wh- how he could possibly be the guy who survives everything. But he doesn't behave at any point like the character he turns out to be. It, it's it's super dumb. I don't think all there's right. any reason for him to be immortal or super. I don't know. I just don't. No. Mm. Right. It, it, it also, yeah, it makes him... It makes him way less interesting. It also makes it so that I guess at the end she chose to save him instead of the whole world. Like she made a decision. Yeah, she could hmm. have saved the world. I didn't uh, think and about she goes, that. Nah, she I'm going to go back she to him. The Neo in Matrix Reloaded, basically. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but that that all worked out just like it did. Yeah, in this she got movie. their cake and eated it to eat, yeah. eat it too there as well. Yeah. But yeah, I, I kept thinking like as soon as the Tree of Life thing, as soon as the petals of magic wellness. Uh, get introduced. 
Uh, I was like, this movie takes place in 1915 or 16, something like that. I think 16, 16. Yeah. And I'm like, so how are they going to explain when our heroes inevitably do achieve the goal that they set out to that we all aren't just healthy now? <laughs> you know, like they've established that they're trying to <laughs> save yeah. the world and and get uh, the magical elixir that will make us all healthy. And here I am in 2021, quarantined in my house. <laughs> and, and, apparently, and apparently this tree from Pandora like lasts for like, what, 10 minutes before it dies? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty narrow window. And yeah, good good call. I was reminded very much of the culturally relevant film uh, Avatar watching that scene as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, and also what's kind of funny is Dwayne The Rock Johnson's like, Oh yeah, I, uh, I I don't need to go on living anymore. I've, I've already seen everything. It's like, dude, yeah. you you haven't even seen Facebook yet, man. You you, you have a whole <laughs> you have a whole other phase of yeah, immer- dude. You're an immortal. Yeah. Live it up, bro. <laughs> also, there's actually a scripted scene where Emily Blunt is like, well, maybe you and I could be together or something. And The Rock is like, I choose death. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's literally the, the substance of what happens. Uh, <laughs> All right, well, the uh, movie is okay. And at the end of the day, sorry, go ahead, Peter. Wait, uh, there's a couple, some other things I want to talk about yeah, here. Yeah, like, go ahead, uh, hit, hit us. You know, Disney has been trying to to put some gay representation into their movies. And they always, like, like promote it. Like, they promoted, like, there's something in Beauty and the Beast. And it was, like, what was it like one line or something? I don't know. It was so nothing. It was like they were patting themselves on their back and it it ended up being nothing. And then in here, it ended up being this like heart to heart with, uh, uh, what's his name in the rock where he's talking about how, um, yeah. Oh my God. Emily Blunt's brother's character, right? Yeah. And I don't know. I, I I just like, if you're going to do it, just do it. Like it would how be, the guy uh, kiss a guy. I don't understand. Like I was watching. I'm not sure if you guys saw, saw this, but like uh, on Twitter, Green Knight does it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jack Whitehall, uh, who plays uh, yeah, yeah, um, uh, the uh, character of uh, McGregor in the in the movie. Yeah, but I, Peter, here's the thing: it, they don't want to do it because they don't want to anger yeah. China. So it's like anything they put in there, they're going to have to take out for the Chinese audiences, um, which, uh, you know, shows you how serious they are, I would dare say, about representation. Um, but yes, I, I agree that there there is but, a... But, there, uh, but you could have had that character kiss a guy in a B or C storyline and make it so that it could be cut out from the movie, which probably doesn't speak much to how important that storyline right. is to the movie. That's exactly my point. That's but what exactly I'm saying point. is, like, you could have done that. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> They're going to cut this out of the movie, right, for the China release. So maybe, why not maybe just not. do that? It's, it's subtle enough that they, don't, okay. they may not need to. Uh, also, uh, The Rock, uh, extremely progressive dude for some guy in the 19, uh, 1910s, yeah. uh, I have to say. But yeah. Although he's like so weirded out that she wears pants. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, like if you're wearing pants, like that's terrifying. But guys <laughs> kissing guys is totally natural. Uh, anyway, I'm just saying, I'm just saying his progressivism is weirdly inconsistent. Um, but uh, what else? I mean, he's not really a guy from the 1910s. It's true. He's a guy from the 16s, I guess. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Anyway, Peter, anything else? I don't know. There, there's some good ideas here. Like having the MacGuffin be the tree of life is a cool idea. Having that like waterfall thing that drains out is like a cool idea. But 
it, in the end, it just ends up being like that whole third act is just like one giant wet fart. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I was so disappointed by the second half of this movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it, it does try to do a lot. Like, and then the whole time I'm like, when are when is when is when are Aguirre's men gonna come back into this thing? You know, like, and they come in at like literally the last like five minutes of the movie or the last ten minutes of, of that action. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it's weirdly uneven. But in any case, at the end of the day, it's still pretty <laughs> impressive that Joe Calesera made a movie. Guys, you know, can't argue with that. You cannot argue with that. That's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of The Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song, for now, comes from adamwarrock.bandcamp.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from YouTuber and filmmaker Kyle Corwith. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Next week, we are going to be reviewing The Green Knight. is going to be back. Jeff's not going to be here. Uh, but uh, despite that, it's still going to be an episode that's listenable. So uh, look forward to that. And also for the After Dark, we got a few topics we want to discuss, including some thoughts on Jolt on Amazon Prime Video. You can support us on the After Dark uh, and get After Dark episodes, I should say, at patreon.com slash film podcast. That's all, folks, for now. Thanks. We'll see you next time.